We read together this afternoon two passages of Scripture uh, from uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. We're reading these in connection with uh, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 4, uh, which deals with um, responses to the recognition of sin and the uh, understanding that uh, sin deserves judgment. And I've uh, entitled Lord's Day 4 this afternoon, um, The Excuse Lord's Day. How do we answer the excuses that are found in Lord's Day 4? And we'll look at Romans chapter 3. We'll read first Romans chapter 3, verse 9 through 20. And then we'll read Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through 16. Romans 3, verse 9 through 20. This is the word of our God. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, in their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And then we turn back to Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through 16. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. 
For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. As far This afternoon, if I'm not mistaken, uh, as you've been going through the Heidelberg Catechism, we come to Lord's Day 4, and we'll read that together. You can find it on page 520 of your book of praise. But does not God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? The answer, no. For God so created man that he was able to do it. But man, at the instigation of the devil in deliberate disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? Certainly not. He is terribly angry with our original sin as well as our actual sins. Therefore, he will punish them by a just judgment, both now and eternally, as he has declared, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. But is God not also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but he is also just. His justice requires that sin committed against the most high majesty of God also be punished with the most severe that is with everlasting punishment of body and soul. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how good are you at making excuses? How good are you at making excuses? Perhaps it's probably a, a question that's better directed towards someone who knows you well, perhaps a spouse or a parent or a sibling. We'll probably give a more honest assessment of your excusing ability. How good are you making excuses when uh, somebody comes to you and says what you did there was wrong, yes, but... Let me tell you this, and let me explain that. Never really accepting the guilt, recognizing the offense, but instead the excuse factory begins to work into overtime. I imagine many of us have been there, I know I've been there, when uh, you get pulled over on the side of the road, uh, those lights are behind you and the officer walks up to you and uh, story often plays out in very similar ways. He says, you know how fast you were going? No, no, officer, I don't quite remember. Well, you were doing 40 over uh, the speed limit. Oh, really, that bad, huh? I never imagined that. I would normally not do such a thing. 
Um, yeah, well, oh, but you see, I, I'm in a hurry to get to work, and uh, I was fully justified in speeding, really. I, it needed to be done at this point, and excuse after excuse just begins to come out, hoping that somehow, some way, the officer, instead of administering justice, will excuse you. And I use that word excuse very uh, specifically because there's a great difference between forgiveness and excuse. The facts in the case are the speed limit was 55, 50 kilometers an hour, your speed was 90 kilometers an hour, and you're guilty. An excuse tries to remove guilt without acknowledging it. Forgiveness recognizes guilt but gives you an undeserved favor. C.S. Lewis wrote in one of his essays, forgiveness says Yes, you have done this thing, but I accept your apology. I will not hold it against you, and everything between us will be exactly as it was before. Excusing says, I see that you couldn't help it or didn't mean it. You weren't really to blame. And if one was not really to blame, then there's nothing to forgive. I wonder when you apologize in your relationships, which one you're actually doing. You trying to excuse yourself and avoid blame? Or do you ask intentionally, specifically for forgiveness, recognizing that you have done wrong and it's in the other person's power to forgive or to not forgive? You see, in that sense, forgiveness and excusing are almost opposites. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, the trouble is that what we call asking God's forgiveness very often really consists in asking God to accept our excuses. Or in other words, if we want to uh, rephrase this as we're working through the catechism, if I can be excused for what I've done, do I really need to throw myself at the foot of the cross? Do I really need Jesus Christ and the mercy that God shows in Jesus Christ? Or is there a way to be excused? That's our theme this afternoon. Do I really need Christ? Answering excuses. And so I'm formulating each of these questions and answers in the form of an excuse. Um, Look at three of them. It's not fair. Uh, Secondly, can't God just look the other way? And finally, isn't he merciful? It's not fair. Can't God just look the other way and isn't he merciful? So the Bible is very clear. We read passages of this. God has a law, a will for our life. We read it. We're reminded of it every week as we go through the Ten Commandments. Jesus Christ summarized it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, not just with a little bit of your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is anything short of that is sin, is an offense to God, and the wages of sin is death. That's justice. So, what are some excuses we might use to avoid facing the justice of God and throwing ourselves on the mercy of Jesus Christ? 
First one we're looking at is it's not fair. And there's two um, aspects of this it's not fair. One of them comes out in the catechism, but we'll deal with another one first. It's not fair because I didn't know. Is it fair to judge me if I didn't know? This question often comes up in context of the Gentiles, uh, those who don't know Jesus Christ, don't who, those who don't have the Ten Commandments uh, before their eyes, don't who, those who haven't heard the law of God. Is it fair for God to judge? Secular law, there is a, a very easy response to this, and it's uh, in law, it says ignorance of the law is no excuse for breaking the law. But we can actually go much further than that because there's nobody that is ignorant, completely ignorant to God's expectations for them on their life. In Romans chapter 2, verse 14, it says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience is bearing witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse. God's law is written on the heart. And there is no one that can plead ignorance. Ignorance is no excuse anyway, but there's nobody that can plead ignorance It doesn't mean that this plea isn't tried. But I want you to realize that, think about it, when you plea on the basis of ignorance, you nevertheless still accept guilt. I am guilty under the law, but I'm pleading ignorance. The question there isn't, did you do it, but should you be punished for it? It's not fair, I didn't know God says all men are accountable before God. But the catechism actually uses an even stronger uh, excuse in it's not fair. If you look at the question and answer nine in Lord's Day four, but does not God do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? I couldn't help it. You ever use that excuse? It's a go-to excuse we use all the time. It's an excuse we have a hard time answering when somebody else uses it. I couldn't help it. I was tired. I fell asleep. I forgot to set the alarm. I'm sorry I didn't memorize my catechism because it was a busy week. I'm just not ready for this exam because... Oh, this and this and this happened. I'm sorry I couldn't come help you out, but something else came up. I know I promised, but you got to understand I just couldn't help it. My hands were tied. I'm sorry I couldn't help it because when I drink, I get angry easily. Or even quite relevant in our age, day and age, I couldn't help it. It's just what men do. 
That's just how men talk. It's an excuse used to justify some of the actions of the current president of the United States. They can't help it. You've got to understand, men just, they, got, they have to be men. Or I'm just a kid, I couldn't help it. It's not fair to make me feel guilty for what I've done because this is who I am and I don't want to face guilt or be punished for it. That's not fair. And I want to drive home and I pray that I may do this in a sensitive and a compassionate way how powerful, how incredibly powerful this excuse can be. We affirm that the Bible teaches homosexuality is a sin. And that teaching, that scriptural teaching is a terribly hard teaching for someone who feels same-sex attraction because they feel like it's part of their very identity. It's who they are. I can't help it. Now, is a person born that way? The debate still ongoing, nature or nurture. But the point I want to make is this. Every single one of us is born that way in one way or another. The root of sin and the Bible, uh, catechism here says original sin. Uh, the root of sin is there already from our birth. David says in Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Job 14 verse 4, Who can bring any clean out of any unclean? John 3 verse 6, That which is born of flesh, and they're referring to sinful nature, is flesh. The reality is if you struggle with sin, it's not because somebody taught you or because of circumstance or, or because of situation. It's because it's to the very deepest core of your being, the sinful nature in which you were conceived and born. And so you see, and I pray that you see how powerful of an excuse this can be. Is it fair does God not do man an injustice by requiring in his law what man cannot do? I couldn't help sinning because I'm a sinner and therefore I should be excused. Should God change his standards for justice and say, well, in that case, it's okay? Well, what's the answer that scripture gives? The answer is no, God doesn't do man an injustice. Scripture very answers this question simply. You were born that way, but you weren't created that way. You live that way, but you weren't made to be that way. When God designed and created humanity, he created humanity, he created uh, uh, all of humanity to be good, to walk in true righteousness and holiness. And Adam and Eve, at the instigation of the devil in deliberate disobedience, robbed himself and all his descendants of these gifts. So the question is, is it fair for God to judge us for that? 
Well, that question, is it fair, asks, is God being just? And the answer is, if that's how you want to plead, if you want to plead for God's justice, then none of us should be here today. God should have just said, I'm done with it all. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. That would have been fair. That would have been right. The day you eat, you will die, and that will be the end. But God, in his grace and in his mercy, had a different plan. And he says, I'm going to renew and restore, bring about a new creation. And I'm going to do that by my power and my might. And I'm going to give what they do not deserve. I'm going to show mercy. God's patience, and this is the point that Paul makes in Romans chapter 2, God's patience has led him not to exact justice immediately. Romans 2 verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Do I really need Christ? Is it really fair that God uh, punishes me for uh, requiring in the law what man cannot do? God's not doing an injustice, but God is giving hope in the midst of that sentence. So do I really need Christ? Yes, you do. Second question, or second excuse, can't God just look the other way? It's rephrasing question uh, 10. Will God allow such disobedience and apostasy to go unpunished? Can't he just look the other way? Pretend it doesn't exist. Even the very question uh, suggests that we do not understand the glory and goodness of God and his holiness. It's like saying, well, can a doctor not just leave a little bit of cancer? Wouldn't it be good for him just to leave a little bit of that? Can a judge, as he's judging every day, can he decide that for 60% of the cases, he's just going to look the other way? doesn't even matter if they're guilty or not guilty. He's just going to give them a not guilty verdict and make them walk. You see, that question itself is absolute foolishness. Can God, can't God just look the other way? No, God is a good God. He's a gracious God. He maintains righteousness and he upholds justice. This is who he is. He cares about the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, and he is a judge who punishes evil and never allows evil to slide. God's character is good, faithful, loving, perfect in every way. No part of him will ever allow a compromise in that area. Struck me as I was reading through the Sermon of the Mount. Oh, what a wonderful uh, king Jesus is. He says, 
You've heard it said, you, not, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman lustfully in his heart has already committed adultery. I don't even want to imagine what it would look like if a husband went to his wife and said, now, are you okay with me not committing adultery but lusting after every woman I see? No, our king doesn't compromise, and he says it's not the action, it's the very heart of the matter. And I'm not going to compromise in any single way. Every sin in thought, word, and deed will be punished and will be judged because that is good and that is right. Now, if that doesn't make you begin to tremble in some sense, then you do not know the wrath of God that is poured out against sin. As you begin to realize what that means for your life, that you can't plead, it's, you can't come up with the excuse, it's not fair. You can't say, God, please just look the other way. Every single sin, God punishes with the most eternal, severe judgment. Number says your sin will find you out. It's been appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, says Hebrews. But I hope also that as you begin to, to tremble in holy fear, that you might also take great comfort in this truth. That every sin and every evil is punished. That every wrong that you do and every wrong done against you is and will be punished. Now, how does that happen? Well, God offers a way in Jesus Christ that all those who confess sin and plead uh, for Christ's forgiveness and for the blood of the Lamb to wash away sin, sin is forgiven. It's not excused or, or ignored, but it is punished on the cross. For those who do not believe in Jesus Christ, they will suffer eternal punishment for rejecting the only way that God has given. It is the only way, because as Romans says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Nobody has an excuse, and there's no excuse strong enough to avoid God's wrath and judgment. How do you answer that question, do I really need Christ? Do I really need Jesus Christ? I pray that you see that there is no excuse that you offer. And if your answer is no, or I'm not sure, or let me wait and see, I pray that God will open your eyes and the Spirit will convict you before it's too late. This is God's world and you offend the living God. And one day, there will be eternal judgment. 
But the glory of God in Jesus Christ is forgiveness and new life. And it is a, a wonderful message. It's a gospel message that reveals the heart of God in his love uh, to bring about a new creation. And it is a joy and a privilege to be able to hear that message and to recognize that it is in Christ that we're forgiven and that we have new life and that we do not need to fear the wrath of God because it drives us to the cross and we're free and forgiven. And as we hear that message, and as you hear that message week in and week out, there's one more excuse that we have to deal with. And that's the final uh, question and answer. Yes, but is God not also merciful? Or in other words, pastor, I hear you, uh, sin and guilt and, and punishment and judgments so central to who God is, but there's this story that you've got to read, and it's the story of Jesus, and Jesus Christ, God's merciful, and it doesn't matter what I do, God's merciful. This is perhaps the greatest excuse used today by Christians. God is love. He just forgives. He's not angry with sin. He accepts us. Sin and all, just as we are. See, it's okay. It's okay. Love conquers all. And what happens under this excuse is sin is minimized. Holiness is diluted. Righteousness is trivialized. Under this excuse, we no longer seek to crucify the old nature. We no longer come each week with a passion to say, Lord, let me see the sin that I've committed so I can bring it to the cross of Christ and be renewed in true righteousness. Under this excuse, under this excuse the list of acceptable sins become longer and longer. I can be angry with so-and-so because you know what they did to me? Well, there's got to be a little room for lust in the hearts of men because not only that's what they are, but God's merciful and he understands. Or it's not really gossip if you look at it in this perspective. And even if it was gossip, well, God's merciful and he's not going to care too much about that. I mean, I'm loved. I'm cared for. And so we formulate one of the great excuses to avoid daily fleeing to Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ, born on Christmas Day, John the Baptist saw him coming much later to him, and what does he say when he sees him? He says, behold, the Lamb of God. And you know what that means? It means here, it's, it's a powerful image because what John is saying, I am seeing a lamb walking towards me that is about to be slaughtered. A lamb led to be slaughtered as a payment for sin, born to be executed. Why? Because every sin that is committed, committed from the beastliest evil to those on your list of acceptable sins that I'll begin to work on sometime later in my life but now feel so comfortable, every single sin will be punished and must be punished with the most severe punishment of body and soul. 
And that's why Jesus Christ had to come. And that's the only way that you can escape the wrath of God. And that's the joy and the delight and the awe that the disciples and John the Baptist saw as they saw Jesus Christ coming to take that upon himself. I believe if we're ever tempted to use God's mercy as an excuse to minimize sin or as an excuse to stop fighting against sin or as an excuse to accept sin in our own heart or in our midst, then we must look to the cross of Jesus Christ. He was pierced for our transgressions. Nailed to the cross. God's justice is not compromised. His justice is done. And that's a joy for us. That he has said, I will make you new, every part of you. And there is nothing that I will not touch if you bring it to me. Yes, God is merciful. But as the catechism says, he's also just. His justice requires that sin committed against the most high majesty of God also be punished with the most severe, that is with everlasting punishment of body and soul. Do I need Jesus Christ? If I want to escape the wrath of God, it is only in Jesus Christ that I can do that. Yes, you need Jesus Christ. I pray that as a people of God, we will stop making excuses for sin. Though we might think that they are good excuses, legitimate, perhaps even legitimate excuses, but we know that what we've done is wrong. And that we will say that and we will confess that and we will bring that before God. And he hear again the words of God from 1 John 1, uh, the words that I read. If you say you are without sin, you deceive yourself. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do I really need Christ? Yes. It's my only comfort in life and in death that I'm not my own but that I belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who bought me with his precious blood and fully paid for all my sins and sets me free from now on to live for him. Beloved, by faith, accept that truth and embrace its reality for your walk of life. Amen.